0: while they're turning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's head to Revelation. If you didn't get notes that are in the back, maybe somebody will be gracious enough to do it. Here's some surveys from America. Let's do, just do a couple to get started. Name a reason somebody might opt to ride a bike to work. Okay, price of gas would do it. What else? Exercise. It's close. Lost their license. Okay, that would do it don't have a car. Here we go. Here's what they said. Environmental concerns, saving on gas for exercise. They have no car. Broke down. Name something to which a lot of kids seem to be addicted to. Their phone, video game, game, sports. You guys are good. Music, television, candy or junk food, computers, and cell phones. Name something kids love to jump on. parents parents okay yeah what'd you say the couch here's what they said dads or grandpas other kids pile of leaves the couch trampoline or the bed here we go name something specific you would clean before company would show up the, the bathroom <laughs> specific <laughs> Kitchen, house, I mean, ki- bathroom. <laughs> what else? Okay, get rid of trash. Anything else? What what'd you say? Your face? You're pretty close on this one. Kids, yourself, okay, the living room, the carpet, the kitchen, and then the bathroom. This, this one now, let's see what you do. Name the seven seals of the judgments. The seven seal judgments. What are they? Uh, Don't all talk at once, okay? Okay. What's the seven seal judgments? Do you remember the first one? It's the the first four are. The first one's the white horse, okay? Okay, which is representing somebody bringing peace, promising peace. What's the next one? The The red horse, and he's carrying, well, actually, he's bringing war. So he brings war all over the place. What's the third one? Okay, this is the third one is the famines, the horse that's carrying the balances, and then the next one is the pale horse. Good, and that's representing where one quarter of the mankind will die. Okay, in these judgments, and uh, then after that, it's it's a picture not of what on earth, it's a picture of heaven. Do you remember what's happening? Yeah, the martyrs. Excellent. We'll come back to that in just a second. Then there's the major earthquake, which we'll come back to because we we didn't get all the way through. And then the introduction of the seven trumpets. So where we're at right now is we have already talked about this, that Jesus takes the scroll from the throne sitter. And as he starts opening up the scroll, then these things happen. These are the sealed judgments. And we talked about the four horsemen that you just mentioned. We talked about what happens in Revelation 6. They see the souls underneath the altar in heaven. Those souls are who? The martyred Christians, the people who've become believers during this time of the beginning of the tribulation. And they are slain for their testimony, for the word of God. And the points that we talked about is that people will get saved during this time period that we alluded to last week. We explained some other passages. And they are saying, Lord, how long until you take revenge on our death? And so we talked about how there isn't soul sleep. People are in heaven. We talked about that idea that they're aware. They even have some awareness. And somebody asked me last week, how much awareness do they have in heaven? This is indication they have some awareness of what's going on because they know that the vengeance hasn't been taking place. But how much, I don't know. I don't know. Bible doesn't give any, any indication. So he says, rest because there's going to be more of your fellow servants and brethren killed. So God's timing in his program and what's happening in these seven years isn't fulfilled. And he's indicated that there's going to be more death. We're going to come back to them in just a few moments. Revelation 6 then goes on and says, right after that, all of a sudden the natural disasters start. This is the one seal that is filled with natural disasters. They're going to intensify underneath the trumpets, but this is the one seal that's that is, the natural disasters. Earth is pelted by the meteors, the asteroids. We said that with the shifting of the islands and things, probably volcanoes, which would explain how obviously he says the skies roll back like a cloud and discoloration. It could be, you know, and, and we're, again, we don't know. It could be ash. It could be different things that would change the, uh, the uh, world at large as we know it. But when they recognize, if you remember, they say at the end of chapter 6, They run to the mountains and they say, fall on us and hide us, verse 16, from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Interesting that they recognize this is a judgment from God. These very people, instead of running to the Lord, they're running away from the Lord. What is interesting in my mind is how do they know that? How did they learn that? How did they understand that? Is it an innate knowledge that's still within the hearts of people? Is it possibly the witness of the 144,000 that have already been proclaiming the truth and they're, re- they're saying, we reject it, but we recognize there's a reality to it. We, we don't know exactly, but they run from God. There is a couple statements I want to just catch and get your opinions on. That as he's concluding this, where he says that in verse 16, he says, Fall us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I want to just focus on that last phrase. I want to get your thoughts on this. When he says, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Anything peculiar about that phrase? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Who's, who's the Lamb? Okay, we would, we would understand this. The Lamb is Jesus Christ, right? Okay, we would uh, we would say, and we would we would have to say, okay, who, who are the people that are saying this? Identify. It's the unsaved, the ones who are being judged at this point. And so, as Bob, you mentioned, it's clear that they, you know, they're saying, "Who can hide us?" We know that nobody can hide, right? Okay, God, they can't hide from God. But it's it's really strange that you would put wrath with a lamb. Typically, the lamb, as you said, would be. A passive, a peaceful creature. What does that tell you about God? Well, how do people often think about God today? Loving. A loving God, which he is. Okay, but he's peaceful. He's loving, harmonious. What is this telling you? He's both He's both loving, but he also... Yeah, he's, dealing, he's going to deal severely with them. And so this sacrificed lamb is a judge. He's a judge. And so people don't understand who Jesus really is. Those people don't understand who he is. He's not this passive character. He's this character who hates sin. He's our Savior. Now, from our perspective, he's our Savior, yes? He loved us, saved us by grace. How does he feel about us doing wrong? it's okay. It's okay. Just go ahead and do what you want. No, no, no. So I think that's an interesting thought. The other one I wanted to just go back and revisit, because I don't think we, I explained it clear enough, is that next phrase. And it was interesting. I went to multiple different authors this week to just try to, to just confirm in my mind exactly what they were saying. And after I went to multiple authors, authors of what he was saying I was more confused. Okay, so in verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand? It is interesting how this is interpreted, and if you do some study on your own, you're going to find this, that many good people, good scholars, conservative scholars interpreting the Bible, they have different views. The question that has to come is, who exactly is saying this? Who is the person speaking this? Is it those people speaking it? Is it the author of the book interjecting a comment and saying, you know, just an observation? Who shall be able to stand? And so guess what the scholars concluded? They don't know. <laughs> yeah, they have different points of views on who is the one saying. So if there, it is the people of the earth speaking and say who can stand maybe they're saying it with the idea which you some of you suggested last week with the idea is you know hide us from him because we can, you know he's he sees us he's so powerful we're not going to be able to resist him that's a possibility that some of them saying that means that if that's the meaning then what's the answer who can stand who can resist the Lord? Okay, that's the answer. And that's what you said last week. And this would agree with other scripture. Because remember what Hebrews says? It is a terrible thing to fall... Yeah, yeah, into the hands of the, of the living God. It's a fearful thing, fearful thing. Now, here's the other possibilities of what this says. It all ends up at the very same place. But I just want you to be aware of there's different points of views as you would study this. Some say, who can... It could be... Some have interpreted this way. It could be the people who are running and they're saying, who can stand? There, you know, Nobody will be accepted by him. In other words, they could be blaspheming God. They could be accusing God. Who could stand before him? He's, how how would they view God then? Vengeful, cruel, no mercy. That's what some have suggested it is. And God is against all people. It could be the question of, some said by the people, fearful, is what chance do we have? Who can stand before? Who would be accepted? It's not a resistance, but it's saying who can stand and they're allowed into his presence. Not, not the sense that the first uh, point was that they are resisting, but he is saying, um, with that idea, he is, they're, they're, you know, none of us have a chance. None of us have a chance whatsoever. Is that true? Do any of them have a chance? Yeah. How do we know that? Yeah. We've already seen in the previous verses, have people been accepted by the Lord? What happened to them? They were martyred, but they got accepted by the Lord. And then look at chapter 7. Okay? Do others get accepted by the Lord? Who are they? The 144,000. Yeah. So, it, you know, is it is it a rhetorical statement by just John interjecting and saying, who can stand before the Lord? These people are running from him. Will God accept anyone? And the answer is yeah because he's already though God is judging and put it in context if this is if this is the point even though God is judging is he still ready to be merciful absolutely absolutely and so that mercy was shown even in the previous verses that people believed now they suffered for it but he he accepted them though they had rejected him in the past though they had not come to salvation if they had heard whatever yeah and so he still accepts them, even though they're in this time period. And then chapter 7 is going to help explain how did they hear, as well as who else does God accept. This is where we were last time. We were talking about the 144,000 that's talked about in this text, but also talked about in Revelation 14. So hold your fingers between the two. Okay, we'll start because we're going to jump and get a little bit more in chapter 14. Let's just start here. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until what? Until... uh, Sealing, is it the same seals that's been previously mentioned? No, yes? No, it's not the same seals. This sealing is doing what? Sealing the servants. Sealing the servants. Not a judgment seal, but rather a a protection seal. Good. I heard the number of them which are going to be sealed, or which were sealed. They were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Judah. Let's go over to chapter 14. We'll come back to that. Chapter 7 in a second. Okay, chapter 14. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion with him, the 144,000, having God's name written in their foreheads. I heard the voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, the voice of the great thunder. I heard the voice of the harpers harping with the songs. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and the beasts and the elders that no man can learn but the 144,000 which were redeemed. These are they which are not defiled with woman. They are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne. So we look and say, and this is where, where we left off last time, just in these few feeble thoughts, that the angels are gonna, who are going to be doing judgment, Okay, the already natural judgment is starting with seal number six, uh, natural, um, nature's judgment is starting with seal number six. And who could, who could be prompting some of these things to happen? Who is activating the uh, stars falling from the sky? Could it be angels under the command of God? Does that happen in this book? Do angels get involved with moving nature? Have they in the Old Testament? Have they interplayed with nature? Yeah. So don't underestimate the spirit world. Okay. Angels have that ability with the permission of the Lord, with His allowance. Both 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 types of angels. Because remember, what did some some and you know, demonic people? What did they do to Job? Did they use anything in nature? Like what? there was the fire there was okay the wind the they the, they use nature so the angelic realm the spiritual realm does it interplay with the physical realm you got to you got to be more solid than that okay it really does it really do, don't hesitate on this the angelic spiritual world has a great influence on this world the physical world do not underestimate that, how they, they work together. And so they're not just these two separate, totally separate worlds that there's no interplay or influence one upon the other. It is tremendous, and I think we as Christians often underestimate the influence of demonic forces as well as angelic forces. Okay. Um, So anyway, they're holding it back because they have to get the seal. You already talked about this last week. Some of you, when we asked, what was this seal? You already mentioned, you said what it indicated. And I put up some of your answers, the ownership, the protection of the living God, and it's sealed on their foreheads. Then, and again, Revelation further on in 14 says that their names, God's name is written in their forehead. And so they're clearly his. And as a result, they're going to be protected from the different harm that's going to come. And you're going to see, we saw already in seal number six, and you're going to see in the next seven different judgments that play out, they're all nature that are going to be coming against people. But these guys are going to be protected from these nature judgments that are going to uh, come upon mankind, just as the Jews were protected. The land of Goshen was protected from some of the plagues. And so it's going to take place at that point. They have an assigned job. What's the assigned job of the 144,000? Okay, preach the gospel. Okay, they're going to take out the gospel, and uh, they are going to be those 12,000 males. I stopped last week right here, and I forgot to point out something that one of you pointed out afterwards. And we said, okay, throughout multiple passages, there's different listings of the 12, 13 tribes. In this, if you look through on all of them, somebody pointed out that Ephraim's never listed in those listings. Okay? And who was Ephraim? Whose son was he? He was Joseph. And one of the sons. Who was the other one? Joseph and Manasseh. Uh, Yeah. Ephraim and Manasseh, sons of Joseph. So even though Ephraim's not specifically listed in all of these different texts, were they forgotten? Probably not. They were, you know, Joseph and then Manasseh. And so uh, somebody pointed out, they said, Well, you said that reason that Dan isn't mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, the tribe of Dan, is people who don't believe the Bible, who criticize the Bible, they're going to say it's all... How are they going to, what are they going to do with this text? Contradictions. Contradictions errors. Okay, And you and I say, well, yeah, I don't know why it's not there. It could be all of these different reasons, as one of you pointed out, that are suggested by modern commentaries, different authors that talk about it. My point is, we don't know. Does God reveal everything? No. Does he need to? No. And what are we supposed to do with what he doesn't reveal? Just trust him. We don't need to know it. And so let's not get caught up in the things the Bible doesn't say. Let's focus in on what the Bible does say. Focusing on what the Bible does say is going to keep us busy. Okay, so especially in the book of Revelation, let's be careful. The variations in the tribes, you know, we, we really don't know. But we do know this. God knows who they are. God's going to use the nation of Israel. Once again, he's not done with them. They aren't the primary um, people group that he's working with right now. The primary people group he's working right now in history who has the Great Commission is who? The church, thank you. It's the church. But when we're removed, he goes back to working with that people group, the Jews, and so God is going to deal with them during the tribulation, deal through them, excuse me, uh, during the tribulation. They are called now, the, the, what happens here is um, these men who are picked to be 140, they are called redeemed, followers of the Lamb. They are described as being virgins, not defiled with women. That doesn't mean sex is bad. It just means that their focus is not on marriage and family. Does that make sense? Okay. Have some churches corrupted this? Yeah. Have they run and said that really spiritual people are the people who are celibate okay um and the bible doesn't teach that but the bible is indicating and this would fit first corinthians where he talks about marriage and he says marriage is a good thing but some of you are gifted not to be married and those who are single at that time paul says in the persecution yeah i wish that more of you were like me because then you can focus on what serving christ completely otherwise sometimes where's our good focus have to be On family. Okay. And it's not a bad thing, but these guys are just going to be fully dedicated that way, full-time, plus some. They're honest, no deceit in their mouth. They have no fault. And so when we look at that, what does that say to us? They're speaking the truth. They're not only speaking it. Yeah. Okay. So they are consistent with what their preaching is. Right? Will that help make an impact? Does it help make an impact to you if somebody who is sharing the gospel, if you go back, if somebody was sharing the gospel with you, did it make an impact how they lived? Yeah, yeah, okay. Oops, that floor has got a bump there. Um, And so there's that integrity on their part. Uh, They go out preaching. He says in chapter 14, he says they are are the first fruits. What does first fruits say to you? That there's more to come. Okay, and so they're described in that. They win, if we go to chapter 7 now, and chapter 7 splits. Let's pick up in verse 9. After this, after he's described the 144,000 preachers, he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. What's that mean? The, the, have they been impacting lots of people? Okay, F- where are the people from? Okay, Go take the next phrase. They're from all nations, kindreds, people, tongues. Why does he keep on saying those words? Why doesn't he just say they're from all over? What's he trying to get us to understand? It's It's the whole world. The gospel can reach... Yeah, and it can save anyone okay so it's very important that he's emphasizing these things and getting us to understand that this is this is where the gospel and by the way where's the gospel supposed to go now go ye into okay so these guys are going to do that and they, it says that the people that they reached stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palms in their hands have you read anywhere of people standing in heaven, with white robes. Have we read that at all? Where? The ones under the throne. Go back to chapter 5, verse 11. The ones who are martyred, what are they wearing? The white robes, okay? And they're, they're, you know, before the Lord. Could it be those martyrs were part of the redeemed first fruits of the 144,000. Is that a possibility? It's more than a possibility, folk. Okay, that could be the combination of the text. Okay, and they are crying. They're clothed in white robes. They have palms in their hands. Watch what they're saying. They cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb." And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped, saying, Blessing and glory and wisdom with thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. What's, what do we call this? What are they doing? Somebody said worship? Another another word? Praise? Okay, excellent. So there all of a sudden, these converts, you know, are, are, they're, in heaven, and they're praising God, they're thanking God for what he has done, and it could be part of those who had been martyred, uh, could be part of this very same group. Something that, I, that is interesting, okay, uh, while they're giving praise, the song that they sing here, if you compare, where he's, they talk about blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor and power, it's very similar to the song that was already described when John first got to heaven. If you go back to chapter 5, where they're starting to sing, worthy is the, yeah, and they're giving that praise. And so in heaven, now watch what else happens here. Okay, not only are they giving praise, but he says, uh, it goes on, He says, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these that are red in white, and whence did they come? And I said, uh, sir, I, you know, thou knowest not. He said, these are they which came from where? Where did they come from? out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them what? Okay, so now we're getting it more confirmed in this text, a text that they are, they are the people who have been saved during the tribulation period. Some of the martyrs. That in, included in here. And therefore, are they, uh, are they before the throne of God? Serve him day and night in his temple. They sit on the throne, and they shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall do what? He's going to... What does that tell you about in heaven? What does that tell you about people when we go to heaven? Somebody asked me just this week, will we eat in heaven? What does the text tell you? Okay, okay. Will it be scrapple? No, okay. Will it be? No, okay. The things that are cursed aren't going to be there, okay. So he goes, he's talking about he says, the lamb which is in the midst shall feed them. The idea is really nourish them. Could that include more than feeding? Yes. Yes. So he's basically, what's the Lord doing? He's caring for all of their needs, for even their quote-unquote physical needs, okay, in the sense that what they need there in heaven in a physical I'm, going to use, I'm trying to use that tongue-in-cheek um, that he's doing that. And he shall lead them unto the living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. Okay, a question that I have for you. Okay, where it says in this text, they shall no more hunger, neither thirst anymore. Why would he say that? Why would he say that in this context? Where might they have been hungering and thirsting? What What... Yeah, seal number uh, three and four, right? Where there was the famines, yes? Okay, and then there was the wars, the pennies. Yes, thank you. Okay, that word. Um, and so God's, the, and as well, okay, there's going to be other judgments that are going to take place that are that are uh, affecting nature in this very regard. So uh, God wipes away their tears at this point. They're serving in the temple. Somebody just put a chart. I thought it was interesting. They charted out chapter 7, and they said, Okay, if you want to, if you want to get a picture of chapter 7, you have the 144,000 from the 12 tribes standing on the earth. They're sealed for protection. Contrast them to their converts. How many converts? Innumerable, okay? Where are they from? Nations, tribes, tongues. Okay, they're from all over. Uh, what are they doing? They're not on the earth. Okay, they're in heaven. They're standing before the throne. And during that time, so they're in heaven after the persecution. They're there. They're being taken care of. God's providing for them and protecting them. I found it just interesting. So what do we learn, just stopping at this point, what do we take away? Because it's good to have facts, but what good are the facts if it doesn't impact our life? How, what does this say um, about talking about the hundred and forty? What does it say about God? Let's start there. God what? He's a God of grace. How do you get that? He's a God of grace because he's still allowing the gospel to go forth. Okay. Especially during when? What is this period of time? Yeah. It's a time of judgment. Remember the seal, the seals, the trumpets. What are they? They're judgments from God. What are they running from? Hide us from the, the wrath of the Lamb. It's a time of judgment. And what's God doing? Isn't that amazing? Amazing grace. 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 Okay, what else does this teach you about God? His omniscience. His omniscience. How do you get that? Well, because he, the genealogy for the 144,000. The 144,000. Yeah, and who knows their genealogy at this point? Only God. Okay, only God. The Jews don't have that record anymore. It was burned up in the temples, what the genealogical records, records they used to have. What else does it teach you about God? He's all-powerful he all because he's he protects the in the midst, of, in the midst of, all the... of all that's going on worldwide. Good, good. Anything else stands out to you? He controls nature. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Anything else? Does God keep his promises? He keeps his promises. It is amazing. By the way, this is the God we worship this morning. So keep these thoughts in mind when we're singing this morning. This is our God. Does he forget us? Do you wish sometimes you could run from him and hide? Because you're embarrassed? Yeah. Okay, so then I'm the one that does it sometimes. Say, "Why would you still love me?" Yeah, but he's so gracious. Even though no Jewish documents, his mercy is great. Same things you just said. Salvation never changes. How do people get saved? What 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 provides salvation? Let me rephrase that. What provides salvation? The blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. Where do you get that? That based on that, which. Where did we get that from the text? Okay, the lamb is there. The lamb is there. Anybody else catch another phrase? They washed... Yeah, uh, help me with the verse, the exact verse. Uh, Verse 14. These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white... How? In the blood of the lamb. So do people even in that period that has reverted back to the, uh, the time of the, the gospel of the kingdom, as Matthew calls it, that they're preaching, is it still the blood of the Lamb that saves people? Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. He is the one that provides it through his, his work. There is another thought that I want to present to you because I, um, I cringe when people say this. Go back to Matthew. I want to just put a verse together here. And <clears throat> in the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking in verse 20, in chapter 24. Remember in chapter 24, Jesus has been asked, what are the signs of your... You remember? What are the signs you your coming? And Jesus has been speaking to them. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of war, and they're going to hate you. And we've been paralleling the different seals and saying, and he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. And we've been paralleling that text at times, stopping and commenting, that they're identical. They go hand in hand together. And so he's giving tribulational information in Matthew 24 and just expl- explaining, but he doesn't give all of the detail. The book of Revelation gives a lot more detail. There is a phrase out of Matthew 24 that is often run to for missions work today. Okay? And it's used in a way to say, we've got to get the gospel out. I am all in favor of getting the gospel out. Are you in agreement to that too? Okay, but here's the part that I don't like people preaching because it's not what God's Word says. Okay, it goes on and he says, um, I'm jumping down to verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Have you ever heard it presented? We, when we, We've got to hurry up and get the gospel out. Because based on this verse, when we get the gospel out, then what happens? The Lord will come back. So we can facilitate the timing of the Lord coming back by getting the gospel out. So if you want to get to heaven quicker, get to work. And especially getting the gospel into all the world, what do we need to do? Uh, take it in application to, like, us here. What do we need to do to get the gospel into all the world? We could either go or... How, how would we do? How would we get others there? Being, being very practical. Okay, so could we motivate you by saying, Hey, the more we give, the quicker we get Jesus back. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? That some have preached that this text that way, is that what this text is saying? No, because if we compare this text with the book of revelation okay what when when is matthew twenty four being fulfilled when the gospel is preached in all to all the world and and again, we're supposed to be doing it, but i i don 't base it on this verse, okay. What is this verse talking about? That when the gospel is preached throughout the entire earth, then the end shall come. Who is he talking about preaching the gospel through the entire world? And then the end shall come. The 144,000. Okay? Keep it in its context in your application of the Bible. That that verse of getting the gospel into all the world, it is a tribulational passage. Should we be concerned about getting the gospel to all the world? Yes, that doesn't change our missiology, but if the idea is that we're, so, oh, that wasn't even this, ver- this one. Um, it's the next slide, but uh, here was a point that, that goes with it. The gospel is effective in any culture and environment. You mentioned this, Jim, okay, in the grace of God that even in the worst of the times of the world can people still get saved, even when there's more resistance to the gospel. Is the gospel powerful unto salvation? Yeah, so people are going to get saved. Saved people have no guarantee that they're going to be free from trials. That is, again, illustrated by the 144,000. Okay? They're protected. They're living in that environment. Now, God is protecting them specially. But what other group of people are illustrating even further that we have no guarantee that once we get saved, life is a, is a bed of roses? The converts... The converts, those who wash their blood in the lamb, wash their robes, excuse me, in the blood of the lamb, they're in heaven, they're persecuted. Okay, and so there's that same thought today, that as we follow Christ, can there be difficulty? Yes or no? Okay, let's keep that in mind, because we are competing to sharing the gospel. We're competing with churches in America that are spreading this message. If you get saved... Everything in your life will be, well, it's going to be changed, but everything becomes wonderful. You'll have no problems. You'll have no health issues. You'll have no money problems. In fact, you're probably going to get richer. It's called the what gospel? Prosperity gospel. Is it a false gospel? Is it popular? I mean, seriously, which one would you want to hear? Would you want to hear a Joel Olstein preach that? Or would you rather, if you were unsaved, would you gravitate that way? Or would you gravitate to say, hey, if you follow Jesus, you have to lift up your cross and follow me. Can you see how the world, if they're going to pick, and then they get deluded? Then they walk. Who do you think is propagating false falsifying the gospel right isn't he clever and do people buy it, buy into it yeah yeah and so it's going to happen that way this is a text i think the gospel is going to be spread i was jumping ahead a moment that uh, that idea and so we've already explained that verse so what happens next okay, is when we're dealing with this whole, this whole specific uh, work here. Jesus then, after this moment, now this was a parenthetical thought. It was like I'm explaining the timeline. First seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal. Oh, by the way, let me answer your questions. How did those people die? How did they hear the gospel? And so he's, excuse me, he's given us those details in chapter 7. By saying, uh, I didn't tell you before, but there was 144,000 and da-da-da-da-da-da. Now he picks up in chapter 8, going to the next seal. Chapter 8, we now, in Revelation, he's going to continue opening up the seals. And this is really interesting. What happens? And when he had opened the seventh seal, what's the first thing? John is seeing all this. John is watching everything. What's the first thing that catches John's attention? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing in the seven trumpets that you notice is a stunning silence. Uh, can we use the term? A deafening silence. Why would that catch his attention? What's been, what's been John' sayings going on in heaven? Singing. By how many people? Innumerable. How are they singing? Yeah, it doesn't... It, going back there. Going back. Yeah, go back to verse 10. It, look at the words that he uses. And they whispered with a meek voice, Salvation to our God. Which sits up... What does your Bible read? Yeah, it's, it, they're jubilant. Heaven is... Yeah, and, and their singing of those those who were martyred in heaven, what did their singing do? Did it, so somebody sings a song, and they're singing, and you just want to, just join with them. Did that happen? Did John see that happening? Yeah, because notice it says they're singing with a loud voice, and then who joins with them? The angels start joining with and then the, the elders and everybody. So there's been this there's been this just orchestration of music and this wonderful celebration. And as they're singing and so excited about what the Lord is, He's so wonderful, He's so great, and all of a sudden Jesus opens the seven seals and everybody goes huh? Why? Why? Okay. It says when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of. Okay, by the way, when there is silence, total silence. We're, we, let, let me pretend this. Bob and I get in a conversation, and we're talking away, and all of a sudden we're American, we're Western, we're talking, and all of a sudden neither one of us says anything. What happens? Does it feel like what's coming? What's coming? <laughs> I don't know, Bob. What do you say? Yeah. We're having a grand conversation, but all of a sudden we've just run out of things to say. How do we, typical Westerners, how do we respond? We just We're perfectly comfortable with not talking and sitting there and just looking at each other. Right? We have to... We've got to fill the void. So we, can't, we can't have silence. Because it's just got to, it's something. And so what happens when there is that awkward silence? How does it feel? Time-wise, how does it feel? Forever. Yeah, those 10 seconds feel like Forever. you didn't say something for an hour. Okay. <laughs> And but, but that's us. So understand, if John is of any kind of an ilk, where this silence, and he's giving a time frame, this is a stunning silence. This is an amazing silence. Because he's previously said they are worshiping God day and night. So heaven has got this constant music. Are any of you like this? Where you have to have background music? Yes, no? I mean, I see, I see some people, that they can't work without earbuds. They've got to have something going. And others of you, it's got to be just perfectly quiet. If the kids are walking across the floor, be quiet. I'm concentrating. But others are just, for me, I've got to have background noise. It could be radio, it could be music, it could be my... No, it's not you. I, I was I almost said that. I almost said that. Okay. I almost needed marital counseling. I almost said that. Okay. <laughs> you knew I was going there, didn't you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Am I getting ready? So we're both getting ready. Okay, okay. <laughs> Am I going to get fed? <laughs> We won't say any more. The microphone has got to stop there. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so why does this catch John's attention? Because that loud praising you mentioned, there's that loudness, it's huge in numbers, their enthusiasm, and all of a sudden it stops suddenly. You know, it's just amazing. And so what stopped them is what they see is happening. I see the seven angels which stood before God. To them were given the seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it up with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the, of, off the altar and cast it upon the earth. And there were voices, thunderings. Now, all of a sudden, the silence is being broken. Catching it? Okay. The the voices, the thunderings, the lightnings, the earthquake, and the seven angels that had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound their trumpets. So the seal is broken. There is a glimpse. There is an understanding. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, the stunning silence because the shock of the seventh seal? The, the horror of the seventh seal? Is this what we call the lull before? Okay, and so what happens here, it lasts for a half hour, which could seem longer. Other scriptures point to this. It is interesting. When you go back in the Old Testament, there are some passages that typically we gloss over when we read, but they talk about the silence in heaven at judgment time. There's one that's, just, that's more um, subtle. You, even you, are to be feared. You, Who may stand in your sight once you are angry? You did cause judgment to be heard from heaven, and the earth feared and was silent. Now we get into a prophetic passage hold your peace at the presence of the Lord for the day of the Lord is at hand. Zechariah writes, be silent to all flesh before the Lord for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Those are judgment passages in Zechariah. And so is this an indication that, okay, God is putting it all together. There's that stunned silence. By the way, the other thing that catches John's attention is the seven trumpets. We're going to talk about those. We won't get there today. The other thing that he catches his attention is the saints' supplications. There is prayer before the trumpets start getting getting launched. There is the supplication that's taking place. Have we heard saints uh, in heaven praying? Have we heard of people in heaven already praying? Okay, they have semi-awareness to what degree we don't know of what's going on earth or what isn't going on on earth, and they are still praying, okay? And they're asking the Lord, how long till you take your vengeance for what they've done to us? And so they're praying, and now what happens is there's activity going along with the prayer. An angel grabs the censer, or the fire pan—it's called—was given with much incense. Where else do you find the idea that with prayer there's incense? Any, any, any—is that biblical, or is that stuck with those formalized liturgical churches? Was there any other times that those things happen? In the temple. Okay, what was what was Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad, doing in the temple? Okay, he's dealing with the things, the incense and the things at the altar, and he was leading morning prayers. Was this part of their ritual? Yeah, it was very typical that they would do this. Now, the big question that people have: <clears throat> Who's the angel in this text where it says the angel? Okay? Literally, it says in verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar having the golden censer, and he's going to make this offering uh, with the prayers for all the saints. Who is this intercessor? Who Who do you think are the possibilities that people would suggest? Okay, some suggest it's Jesus, and he's called an angel at this moment excuse me, and he's the one that's doing this activity, and then he casts out the judgment. Um, personally, I don't think that it is, just for a couple of reasons. Uh, Jesus is already up in and through this text. He's been kind of identified differently than an angel, and in fact, the word that says, verse 3, another angel, he's just spoken about angels in the previous verses, And then he says the word he uses for another angel is one similar to what we've just said. Is Jesus similar to the other angels in heaven? They could clearly have said a different kind of angel, and he would have identified Jesus if that's who it was. So I personally don't think that he's the one that's doing it because the word that he's using. But again, you know, certainty... Let's with what we do know in this text, okay, those are possibilities. <clears throat> so what we do know is that this angel is all of a sudden doing the incense common to the Old Testament. And, and again, remember, in heaven, there is, an, there is a tabernacle <clears throat> that was modeled, that was the model for the tabernacle in the temple of the Old Testament. You remember that, you know that, right? There was a heavenly diagram given to, given to Moses when he built the temple and uh, tabernacle, and then David, when he's doing the temple, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, they, there's these things. There's an altar in heaven, and Jesus is making intercession, et cetera, et cetera. And so the saints who are praying, I think it's the saints referencing, they've been praying, how long, O Lord, until you take avenge? And so that's, that's been given to us already. The angel is going to combine the incense with them. And they had been told, wait a little season. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, what's this indicate to everybody in heaven? By this angel going over, taking the coals off of the fire and casting them towards earth. What's that indicate to everybody in heaven? Judgment that they've been praying for. It's come. <clears throat> I'm answering your prayers. Here we go we're going to we're going to do this the imprecatory prayers of taking revenge of putting an end to it all of a sudden it's happening and so he casts those those coals of fire <laughs> excuse me and so it's a sign that heavenly judgment you know even though there's been some now it is here full full blown it is the wrath of the lamb at its full speed and so God's going to be taking this next set of judgments Upon those who martyred his children. Those who persecuted them. And so in other words, we asked for you to take vengeance. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And it's wow. Whoa. I think that's what's happening in this text. Before he opens it up. And then all of a sudden, you have these judgments that take place. And it's, it, as soon as it starts, anything starts happening with judgment, all of a sudden you've got the movement of the loudness, the lightnings, the earthquake. And it would just be, oh. And the word where it says here that these voices, that the voices along with the thundering and lightning, several have pointed out that the voices that word is often used for, I give a command. It's like, <coughs> you know, orders going out. Which would make sense, would it not, that God is giving orders, now do it. He's held the angels back, they've held things back, and it's like, let it loose. And so the voice uh, that sounds like many waters is, let it go. Let it go. And so that command. And so now in the next judgments, all of them are nature-driven judgments, which is amazing. I need to stop. I can't speak. Um, So let's get ready for worship. I think we have enough in our plate this morning to just say, hey, we have a wonderful God. He is loving. He is gracious, but he is still the creator with whom we have to deal. Okay, so let's get ready to worship him.